0: Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
2: Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery scratcher, Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21.
0: Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, pilot, passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone.
3: All right, here we go. It's episode three of Film Study with Ken McCusick for this week. As we look back at week three, the Broncos game, another rainy game where the Ravens pulled away 27-14 to 14 for another victory. Ken McCusick, how you doing?
4: Life's good, Josh. How about you?
3: I am doing really well. I'm doing great. You know, th- we're getting a lot of praise lately on Twitter for this podcast, and that's wonderful. I want people to keep that up. I want people to keep spreading the word. I do have one request, and we normally get to this at the end of the show, but I wanted to bring it early in case people have been missing it at the end. Along with you can continue to praise on Twitter. That's wonderful. We love that. If you could take a little bit of that and go write a review on iTunes, that would really help the show grow as well.
4: Yes. So they see that. What does it happen? the search engine or the the iTunes search engine for the podcast will bring up some of the reviews.
3: It'll bring up the reviews and it'll help us rank higher as like one of the best Ravens podcasts.
4: Which I would think we are.
3: Yes. And we're really easy to find. If you type in film study, you would think you'd get some other like movie stuff or whatever. Hollywood podcast, you don't. You get us as the number one podcast for film study. So search, That's a good thing. Yeah, so search film study. You'll find us. And write those, put some of those compliments in there so it'll help out uh, your fellow Raven fans when they are looking for podcasts. Everything on Twitter helps too, so continue that as well.
4: Anyway, thanks guys for listening. We really yeah. appreciate it.
3: Yeah, thank you. If I was better prepared, I'd have some of that stuff to read, but then we would just be kind of praising ourselves as well. So I'll leave that for now, maybe another week. Um, Ken, a big week coming up this week with the Steelers. We just finished the Steelers preview, but let's look back one more episode at the offense because we didn't really get into the offense yet from the uh, 27-14 victory in home in the rain again. It was pretty much a mirror of opening weekend outside of the the Broncos actually played a little defense.
4: Sure, there was. There was a, there was a lot of significant... Uh, similarities that the pass rush really got shut down in in both games and the uh, Ravens did a good job of uh, throwing the ball, getting quick releases. Flacco appears to be a fairly rain resistant quarterback. That's a great thing. I think if you look at this game in terms of what drove the passing game this week though, I think there are four contributing factors and it's difficult for me to pick, which one was better than the next? So we're going to kind of touch on all those in a, in a kind of all a right. theme show this week.
3: Great, because yeah, what we heard last week and as we did all the prep for, uh, we didn't have a preview episode for week three. But as we did research, everyone kept talking about how Denver has a great pass rush. And of course, there's Von Miller who has his own credits.
4: Yeah, he's, he's on his own moon right now with uh, four sacks in the first two games. They, I love two-game predictions, but they're already projecting him for 32 sacks, which would have broken the NFL record by nine and whatnot. So uh, uh, that didn't quite work out, of course. Now he's only got, uh, what would it be, only 1.33 sacks per game. So he's only on pace for about 21 sacks. Uh, Going to fall short of the record currently.
3: Right, right. He did not perform as well against the Ravens. Um but, again, the Ravens continued to move the ball. Joe continued to hit different wide receivers and spread the
4: ball out. And, again, Joe looked good in the rain. Yeah, he sure did. So uh, a whole bunch of things Joe Flacco did well. And let's, let's talk about him to start with because I think it starts with what Joe does with his opportunity set, as we often talk about, and that's the, the, the frequency with which he gets ample time and space is how I define that. Right. So there were 41 dropbacks in this game and that excludes one spike. So if you're looking and you see, oh, there's 40 passes and there's two uh, sacks, it should be 42. What's he doing? It would take out the spike. So 19 of those 41, he had ample time and space. And that is right around where you'd expect for 41 dropbacks. It's not materially different from 50% to to be bothering about it. Um, What was good about it is that Flacco was almost equivalent with and without ATS. So with ATS, he was at 6.8 yards per throw, which is actually a little bit below average. But without ATS, he was at 6.2 yards per throw, which is two yards above average. So that was really good. Didn't throw an interception in either condition. Obviously, he had he had one touchdown pass. Only took two sacks, which was a you know a good day by him and the line in terms of getting rid of the ball and not taking sacks. Um, I think what happened a lot in terms of something offensive line scoring, Joe really helped his guys out by by – a quick delivery and that helped slow down the Broncos in terms of effective four man pass rush. It's hard to do that against a quick delivering quarterback because it takes time to win one on one matchups. And when you only rush four, what you're really trying to do is allow your secondary to weigh on those receivers, allow Fat Flacco to feel that trash compactor slowly compressing around him, and then make an unforced error. Well, that didn't happen. Joe got rid of the ball quickly. He generally had windows to throw into. And even when they were small, like I can remember one slant to Willie Sneed, he was right on target with the football and, uh, and, and did a fine job. So uh, second straight really good game in the rain. Uh, he ended up being about what 19 yards better than his expectation in total so that's a that's a good game anytime but it's a really good game in the rain where you'd expect to lose some yards to drops and lose some yards to other uh, conditional factors uh, you know ball slipping out of your hand or whatnot that uh, that you wouldn't get in other games right and so do you think they went in? The Ravens went
3: into this knowing, all right. We hear about Denver's pass rush. We know Von Miller's there. We got to get the ball out quick.
4: Yeah, I think I think pretty much everything about their passing game really focused on how they're going to stop all four really of the Denver edge rushers, and they they have so many good ones. They rush them from the inside as well, kind of like the Ravens in in, in that regard. Uh, theirs are just I think of frankly a step up from ours. Uh, They have Bradley Chubb, who's a a rookie who plays Suggs' normal position at the rush linebacker. And uh, they have Von Miller on the other side. Uh, And and they're using other guys like Shane Ray on the inside. He sometimes rushes from the outside as well. Uh, And Shaq Barrett, who uh, is their fourth really uh, high-end rusher. So that's, that's a very good group of guys. You can rotate in and constantly have some fear in the quarterback's eyes when he takes that snap but uh, Flacco handled it very well on Sunday and and I do think it was it was all the game plan really related around how were they going to stop those guys from getting to Joe
3: all right so so the plan for Joe was to release it quick Uh, what other type of scheming went in with the offensive line in order to handle Von Miller and the guys
4: okay well that you know that's a good question because there were some special things I really want to talk about one in particular but they played some unbalanced line and and the reason you might do that is because you have a weakness at right tackle in James Hurst. He's probably your weakest pass blocker for his position. And you want to get him help or get him off of pass, right, pass blocking for some plays as you can. Also show a different look uh, that, that you might be taken as a run look to Denver that then you can throw out of as well. But what they would do is they would play unbalanced and they would tuck James Hurst in on the inside. So when they played unbalanced left, Hurst moved in to, over to the left side, but he played the second lineman in. So Stanley's all the way on the far left, then Hurst, then Lewis. When they moved to the right side, just simply moved Stanley to the outside of that formation outside of Hurst. So Hurst was always the tucked tackle in those cases. And, and they did a good job with uh, with those plays. The really entertaining play had Alex Lewis lining up as a faux-eligible receiver. So I really want you guys to go back and look at this play. It's in the fourth quarter, 8.35 remaining. Take a look at it, because Alex Lewis lined up at the line of scrimmage. He did not report eligible. If he had, it actually would have been a penalty, I think. But he, he lined up uh, on the inside of the formation. So he lined up uh, uh, sorry, on the outside, but not as the end receiver. And according to football rules, you have seven guys who must line up on the line of scrimmage. You can never be less than that. Uh, You can have more than that, but then you make more of your players ineligible. If you line up with exactly seven on the line of scrimmage, as you should, then only your two edge guys are eligible receivers. And in the formation they had, Nick Boyle was in a traditional three down right tackle stance so he's in the tradition the stance that Hurst would normally be in we had Lewis way out on the left side who's you know 15 yards off of the uh, the left tackle Stanley but standing there you know upright and Andrews was to his left also at the line of scrimmage standing upright and the Denver secondary got a little bit confused and they got over there and there are three guys on that side including John Brown in the slot and one of the Denver secondary guys says, wait a minute, come on over, somebody's gotta cover this guy here, and Von Miller is the guy who walked out to cover Alex Lewis standing there. Now, Alex Lewis was not an eligible receiver, so right. basically, that's a big favor. They're doing him. Now, there are some things they could do in, under those situations. I, pa- I wouldn't put it past Morningweg to create a trick play out of that situation, because while Lewis is ineligible to receive a forward pass, he is eligible, as all players on the field are, to receive a lateral or backward pass. And from there, after receiving such a pass, he can also throw a forward pass himself under the rules of football. So he has, uh, there, there were options to use him, but basically all Lewis did was stand right at the line of scrimmage and put his hands up immediately as soon as the play got got uh, started, looking back to Flacco, begging for the football. And Von Miller was buying it the whole way. He, didn't, right. he did not attempt to rush the quarterback. And if you think about it, it, that's as if you had Alex Lewis block Von Miller one on one, and that, that'd be a great. you know, <laughs> yeah, that's you could great. You take that time.
3: Yeah. So, uh, but that's also one where you got to make sure Joe knows. Never don't do not throw it here.
4: Yes. Well, I, you know it, the thing is he knows he has to know not to throw it there. But if Von Miller had rushed, I wonder if Lewis would have known. Step back five yards, so at least you can accept the lateral there, and then there are options. You, he can throw the ball or he can run the ball himself from that position. So it would have been a, it would have been a fun gimmicky play up a couple touchdowns to see, you know, what they could have done in that situation. It would
3: have been, it would have been a scary play if you're lateral on the ball to Lewis and asking him to throw the ball.
4: Yeah, a little bit scary. You know, he's only going to throw to a wide open receiver, hopefully he doesn't pull Lamont Jordan from 2004 with the Jets and start a big comeback with an interception, you know, throwing right. the, on a on an option pass, but yeah, it, it would have it would have been a great trick play to have, and I think you can continue this trickery if you're willing to throw that pass and set it up on the outside, and you once try a pass or run play with that lineman by taking a lateral first. So uh, I love the play; I, I, yeah. uh, you know, it's my favorite play from this weekend.
3: It it, it does make you wonder because it worked it worked out great, but you got to question: what if Von Miller doesn't fall for that? He has a free ride to the quarterback.
4: Yeah, he, had, he would have had a free run, and Joe would have had to get the, rid of the football immediately. And, and that would have been, you know, not the ultimate, not the optimal situation. Right. Was they there someone... Four blocking four on the inside.
3: Was there someone, like, short prepared for that, for a dump off? Th-
4: there's always a hot read, right. so there, there would have been someone. I, I, Collins was actually just floating out of the backfield to the right, and he actually caught the pass for a loss of three on the play, by the way, also, so right. it's not like it, so the it play didn't was really a big work. success. Yeah. yeah, but he would have been the hot read that okay. Joe would have gone to, I think, if Vaughn had rushed
3: all right well it's uh it's fun to see creativity we've been talking about it a lot on the defensive side of the ball it's fun that marty has gotten in on the game too
4: yeah absolutely i mean i i saw a little bit of this out of marty the end of last year i thought he was really some of the handcuffs were off he was doing more in terms of creative uh moving around in fact in that cincinnati game they lost they had a great comeback in that game to take the lead people forget that and they only focus on the fourth and twelve but Marty Morningweg really had, did a lot of creative things to get that comeback rolling through, and, and it was an impressive comeback. I, and uh, I, I felt myself like like I was almost back in 1975 again, my first year as a football fan, and really looking at, at Burt Jones and wondering, well, what's going to come next kind of thing right. just in terms of, of how the play calling was. So exciting and, and, and certainly exciting game against Denver this uh this last Sunday in terms of variety of play calls.
3: Yeah, it's, it's really fun when the Ravens have been kind of a stale team of you-know-what-you're-going-to-get to have a season like this where you know is extremely on the hot seat, you know is extremely on the hot seat, and it's all working out. The coaches have gotten it together, uh, even with Marty and how he's been mixing in Lamar. But uh, yeah. Flacco has even been creative because he's hitting all the wide receivers.
4: He's, well, he's spreading
3: that ball around. So let's talk yeah. about the wide receivers.
4: Sure. I mean, a great game from the wide receivers here. They really only dropped one significant pass, and that was the pass to Brown down the left sideline, which somehow eluded his hands. It was about a 30-yard throw, uh, first play of the second quarter. And I-, I don't exactly know how he missed the ball, but apparently maybe didn't pick it up in the air or, or whatever, but it was effectively just about through his hands. Uh, other than that, they-, they caught everything that was thrown at them. Uh it- Josh uh sorry not Josh Allen uh Buck Allen uh dropped the ball near the near the line of scrimmage but uh you know it was a no account play at the end of the the second quarter where they were trying to stop the clock anyway uh otherwise they they caught everything that were thrown to them and and uh and that's a big part of it they did not have that in the first rainy game against Buffalo. They dropped several passes, including a couple by Crabtree, and uh, there were other drops as well in that game. Right. But uh, this game was a really good one. I, you know, if you look at what the receivers are doing after the catch, that was very significant. Brown caught long balls, and Brown actually has the longest average target distance of any receiver in the NFL right now. It's over 19 yards. So that's that's where the ball is thrown to him. Uh, and then he's, he's averaged, I don't recall exactly what per catch, but it's but it's It's a good. It's in the 17, 18 yard range because he's obviously caught more of the shorter ones. Right. Uh, but but uh, uh, Mark Andrews, twice found space in the middle of the field, both times. He made a play after the catch. One guy on Twitter made the point on, on Andrews' second catch in particular that he made a, a relatively fearless catch in traffic, and it's one if the receiver rules were a little bit different in terms of the ability to light that guy up, he might not have come away with the football or his head after that right. play. You know, yeah,
3: yeah I, I know Hurst is is practicing again now with the team, but I am loving Mark Andrews on the field. I like yeah. him
4: a lot. I, I don't think they'll reduce his playing time. There's there's several teams in the NFL right now, by the way, who need a tight end, and it is even possible that, that either Boyle or Williams, who are both fourth-year players – could be a reasonable trade alternative at this point Williams is the guy that the Ravens would probably rather trade but he's also the guy who has less value so who knows where it'll be but they, they have one too many tight end effectively right now and it's they're going to have to kind of work that out in terms of who gets the playing time all right yeah um even
3: I guess it's it's just exciting because you got the you got Brown as the deep guy. You've got Andrews who's doing that crossing route, and you've got... Doesn't Sneed have the most catches on the team?
4: Yeah, Sneed's up there, and I, honestly I, I, I don't have the stats right in front of me, with it's not okay. important, I don't think. No. So, yeah, Sneed has not the most tacky. Josh Allen, running... Okay, he's got... No,
3: well, he can't be right. I I don't count the, the running back thumbs-offs.
4: Yeah, he's... He's fourth on the team in catches with 12, but it's 15-13, 12-12. So, Bradbury, Allen, Brown, Snead. So, it's very close.
3: All right. So, it's it's what we've been
4: seeing from Flacco, that every game he's hitting all the wide receivers. Yes. And and Snead is their slant guy. So, he usually lines up in the slot – and it, just very effective. He's, I think, Flacco knows to trust where he'll be, which is the key thing. So get the right depth. He, you know, Flacco is seeing a closing window on a slant because that's the way you know it usually happens, especially the ones that are in danger. Sometimes it's not in danger, and you have all space in front of the receiver, and you can lead him, and and you know you got you got space to play with other times you have the pincer movement coming in where a linebacker is closing on that slant route and he's making that window a little smaller and there, Flacco is good trust with Snead and Snead I think has good spatial relationship skills to to find that spot where he's going to be between the two defenders and has done a good job of that so it, it's uh it's worked out I think he was he's a good acquisition Snead is going to be around for next year John right. Brown of course is not I think we're going to get to that a little later in the show in terms of who the Ravens need to be concerned about in terms of uh free agents and and looking forward to that
3: yeah and i guess part of that is that our, all our wide receivers have their roles and they're all good at different roles you got brown who's got the speed for the deep guys need on the slants and crabtree seems to be a really good at getting separation on these comebacks
4: yeah, I think that's that's really a key. And separation on comebacks a little different from separation downfield, but Crabtree has to sell two routes in order to come back and and get the one. Right. And then he's very effective at using his body to shield out that defender. So you know, Flacco had tremendous trust with Mason early on in his career in terms of running that comeback route time after time after time, and and he had the arm to throw the ball and still does outside the numbers. So it's nice to see that really come back to the Ravens' arsenal. And, you know, sometimes it can be frustrating and a little bit short of the sticks, but especially when you run it on first or second down, it's usually a nice chunky yardage towards the first down, and it plays well into their hands. And I did not realize how effective the Ravens had been, but they've made either all nine or all ten of their third and one conversions so far this year. So that's another you know a thing that tells you picking up chunks of yardage and getting close for third down is really going to pay dividends for a team like this
3: right and um and of course Joe is also using the running backs with uh, Collins and especially Allen had a big catch this week
4: right so Allen found a way to worm his way into the end zone which was really good uh, you know he's he's been a low yards per touch guy and it really hasn't been any different this year 5.4 yards per reception not exactly what we're looking for 2.0 yards per run. Although a lot of those six runs had those are goal I mean, line. Yeah, exactly. He's been, he's had some goal line runs. So there's been, you know, a one yard touchdown is a fine, is a fine carry. But even if you take those out, he still doesn't have a very good yards per okay. carry average. But his, his play to get in the end zone was a real burner down the sideline. Again, Von Miller is the guy right there who couldn't either get him down or get him out. And he found a way to snake his way to the pylon right along that sideline. Uh, it was an impressive, uh, impressive dive.
3: Right, right. All right, uh you love the offensive line play. So let's get it let's get to it. We break it down the offensive line each game because the offensive line really does is like the core of the offense. Even though they don't get all the credit, they're the core that that makes the time for Flacco, that makes the holes for the run they're the guys that get all this work done. They're the game's won
4: in the trenches. So we will start with Ronnie Stanley this week. So Ronnie, a heroic effort here playing hurt uh, you know, he he had a brace on his arm, but it was he bled through <laughs> yeah. the brace, so he ripped the brace off. <laughs> yeah, half the game the it side. broke. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't I, I didn't know if it broke or if he bled you know onto the brace, but that's what I thought it was, that he bled onto the brace and he had to throw that away. That's even better and it's always as a story to come away from this. But uh, he had a, a a very good game that was you know really turned up to excellent by the fact that Flacco helped him out with a very quick release. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. He, he uh, gave up four of his misses. So he had six miss blocks total in the game, but four were times when he was beaten as a pass blocker, but the ball was out quickly. So when that happens... He only, uh, only gets charged with a miss block instead of a pressure, or a quarterback hit, or a sack. If the ball had been held longer, he w- he could have been responsible for. It. So he avoided some significant negative charges from that aspect. Now, in terms of charges, he actually did get. He got one pressure when he was bowled by Miller. That was late in Q1 on the game's second play. He got beat off the inside for what I, I took to be half the sack uh, on Bradley from Bradley Chubb. Now. Chubb beat his weak arm to the inside. That's a tough arm to play without. Let's start with that. But on the other side, at that same time, Hurst was allowing a bull rush that really got in Flacco's face before then, and I charged equally the um, uh, the sack on that uh, on that play. Oftentimes, it's the first invasion of the pocket that I really give the sack to, but in this case, I thought both of them deserved it. Stanley was beaten quickly to the inside and uh, and honestly deserved a portion of that shot. But nonetheless, Stanley scored very well in the game. Uh, .80 is a raw score, including an adjustment. He gets up to an A- for the game. So excellent game out of Ronnie. Uh, could not have asked for more given the uh, injury he's playing under. And, he, and he, he got a high ranking from PFF as their left tackle of the week. All right.
3: Um, how about Lewis? We, we're going to get to Lewis in the mailbag where we're going to kind of look a little bit more at his uh, year as a whole. But how did he do in just this one game?
4: Okay, well, I, I, I kind of want to try and answer the mailbag question right, as then, well. While we're talking then, let about me, since,
3: then let me get to the mailbag now. Yeah. So this question came in from Steve on Facebook, and it's, Why is Alex Lewis starting at left guard? PFF grades the Ravens' offensive line as 31st, with Lewis being the weakest. Now, there was a lot of trash talking to Lewis that I removed from that question, but uh, make sense of Lewis in this line
4: sure I, I well, first of all, Alex Lewis at left guard was pretty good in two thousand and sixteen. Now, when I say pretty good, uh you know he was a c plus player, maybe in the games he was there, and he was much worse at tackle, so when they're trying to find a spot for Lewis and he's a big guy. Uh, you know, left guard makes sense. Uh, he, I, there were things I liked about him back then, and, and I still do, in terms of his ability to be decisive in level two. So, versus teams that don't run a normal uh, four-three as Denver does, they run a three-four instead. Those guards get to level two more, and they have more opportunities to make blocks. Very few level two blocks in this game, by the way, because of the, the Broncos' front. So anyway, normally you get more out of Lewis in terms of level two blocks there. What we've gotten consistently from Lewis this year is consistent pull blocking. And since the Ravens rely heavily on their power run game in order to create opportunities to the outside where where Collins really likes to run, those pulls are important. And he's made now 23 out of 27. So that's not the problem. That's not what Lewis is doing. In fact, that's what Lewis is doing the best in terms of his run blocking. He's had some difficulties in pass blocking. I will tell you, if you're looking at PFF, there's two reasons why they don't like Alex Lewis or why they grade him down, and I'll tell you why my system grades him differently. One is that anybody who gives ground in the run game and appears like they're losing uh, can get is, is subject to half-point charges, and if they're not a, a road grader that's also generating half-point charges on the other side, then it's very likely that they're going to end up with a negative run block score that's magnified beyond what its actual value is in the game. Okay. So guys that can can effectively hold a pick once set have real value in terms of the run game. They certainly have value in the pass game, and we can understand that. But guys who can maintain a block in the run game have value even if they're not moving somebody. So Alex Lewis does not have road grader ability to, to move anybody when he's directly opposite. He has tremendous ability to move people when he's on the move with a pole. So he's done well in that regard. In terms of pass blocking, there's another reason why PFF is downgrading him, is that they don't properly attribute or, or uh, ascribe partial pass rush events. So one of, a very key example came up in this game is that Lewis allowed a looping outside pressure to Shane Ray which eventually was converted into a sack if you look at that play and it's at the end of quarter two, at 106 left in the second quarter you'll see that what really happened on that play is Hurst got pulled back into the quarterback by Miller and that's what initially compromised the pocket same as the other sack by the way and caused Flacco to pull the ball down move his legs and start moving up in the pocket and then about a second later Rain caught, Ray caught him from behind after Lewis could no longer contain him and, and, he, and he took him down. I gave him two-thirds of that sack. I think in retrospect, that's probably too high. He should have gotten half the sack. But the problem with, with Pro Football Focus is they can only give him a one or a zero on that sack. So they judged one. And that when you have players who are um, uh, getting a lot of partial charges for pass rush events, they're going to tend to be overcharged or undercharged, one or the other, by PFF system. And in this case, with, with this sack, Lewis was significantly overcharged for that event by PFF. So if, you, if you're just looking at reasons why I think Lewis is better than PFF grades him, that's the reason, uh, those are two reasons why it, why it can occur. So in this game, uh, it, it, was the game good? No, it wasn't. It was .68 was his, was his score, which isn't good at guard. I gave him a .04 adjustment, which still leaves him at a D. But Alex Lewis, through three games, is a C-minus player. He's not a jump off the edge of the world because this guy is so bad player. He, you know, he's been compared to Geno Gradkowski. That's frankly ridiculous. You know, the Ravens have had a number of bad guards in recent years uh, who've been in there for partial time. You can go to Ramon Harwood and and uh, uh, the center they had from Dallas for a while was a guard and uh, Vlad Dukas and players like that. It are just nowhere near as good as what Lewis is on on the average or on any kind of expected level. So. It, I tell you, get off the ledge on Alex Lewis. Allow this to play out. I think he's going to be pretty good. He may not be the guy to move to center, especially now once we talk about Skura a little bit. But he may, he may be a very serviceable left guard here for the Ravens. And that could be moving forward after this year as well.
3: All right. Um, we talked a lot going into this about maybe this is the time to shift some stuff around on the offensive line. Doesn't really appear they did that. But uh, that's because Skura's been okay. And then he had another good game this
4: week yeah, so he had a he had a bad game last week and a good game this week. So it's basically been be, uh, good, bad, good, the three games. okay, So B plus D and A A in this game. This game was one of his best ever as a raven. and and there's something that's that, that helped him in the game, but also he took extra responsibility that that really needs to be reflected here accurately. So we talked a lot about how they're responding to von Miller and what they have to do to do him. Well, the Broncos still want to rush with four. And Von Miller normally sets up on the right side. So what they try and do is the second inside guy, usually the defensive tackle on the side where Von Miller is, they try and initially double with Yanda and Skura when there's a four-man pass rush. When that happens, Yanda will try and pin that guy so Skura can handle him one-on-one. And then Yanda immediately flips over and tries to create a help block for Lewis as soon as he thinks that Skura has him handled. So Skura's taking on more of that one-on-one responsibility. Admittedly, after he's been helped to get the guy teed up from Yanda, but uh, but still, it's taking on a bigger man and trying to hold him off. He did a great job of that in this game, and allowed Yanda his is you know solid holding of those players allowed Yanda to make a lot of these good help blocks that actually greatly reduced the damage of. Uh, the bulls that Hurst was allowing to Miller in this game and it wasn't just Miller it was Ray and, and, and others so uh, I, I, he had a lot of value in this game and I thought that I didn't give him a higher subjective uh, uh, adjustment because I didn't need to anyway in this game but he scored at .89 per play uh, he'd have had an A anyway uh, but this is a game if I could have justified a higher subjective adjustment for him as well 1.5 pressures allowed in the game uh, one of those was a past offense by Wolf that a lot of people don't even think should be charged, but he allowed Wolf to get his hands up and keep him up. So, you know, that he gets charged for that in my systems. So anyway, if you're thinking, Oh, you know, by signing, signing Ronas Grasu, that the, the Ravens are going to change centers or they're, they're set to make a move right away. They're not, uh, there, there's no immediate jeopardy to Matt Skira's job. You know, he's played well enough to hold that job. And, uh, I think it would take, at least two bad games in a row right now for him to him to get swapped out
3: all right um all right so scurs doing well yanda you mentioned is doing a really good job especially with those help blocks with Skurra. um how about Hurst? did Hurst? he was on miller's side a lot right
4: right so Hurst is hers is the right tackle miller is the is the left defensive end so normally or a left outside linebacker and and normally he comes in and and he, he has to block von miller so he did surrender some frontside uh, pressure from Miller on a couple occasions. What I liked about Hurst's blocking is that he largely was able to stay in front of Miller and just allow Miller the bull rush. Now, it's not like Miller isn't, Miller isn't effective at the bull rush, but Miller is tremendously quick. So his, he also has the ability to get right around you know typical right tackles and make a move on the quarterback and the football, as he would say uh that didn't happen very much in this game. Mostly he just took the bull rush to James Hurst and that allowed, you know, these secondary help blocks from Marshall Yanda to knock him off and, and reduce his impact on the play. You know, all that said, Hurst had just an average game, um even after I adjusted very uh healthily for the fact that he was playing Miller, he he comes out to a C. Uh, .67 is, is, is his score per play, up to .77 with the maximum possible adjustment for, for playing. Miller is still a C at tackle. Uh, there's not a whole lot to say other than he did allow some pressure, and he did allow uh, some front check pressure. The other thing the tackles benefited from in this game was a lot of eligible receiver blocking. So they had a lot of chip blocking in particular. So I keep track of those. We had 16 set blocks. Those are eligible receivers held into block. And they had 14 chip blocks. uh, And those are uh, eligible receivers which make some attempt to block before they go out into the pattern. That's a very unusually high number of chip blockers relative to set. It's probably a slightly high number of total blockers assigned, uh, but I've seen higher before. What is really unusual is that many chip blockers in a game. Now, most of those chip blockers were what I call hands chip blocks. So he was. they're mostly trying to either fan out a, a, a pass rush of five men or a four to make sure a lineman can take it over, or they're trying to set up a pass rush to pin it closer to Hurst, which was helping him a significant amount, uh, in the same way Yanda would for for Skura. But uh, in any case, they're, they're very helpful. Those, those hands chip blocks were still helpful to set up Hurst. What was even more helpful was some of the rib-cracking action we've been seeing from Alex Lewis, uh, sorry, uh, 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 Alex Collins, the last two weeks in terms of uh, just absolutely breaking the ribs of guys that he chip blocks. So he, uh, defensive ends, any lineman, I think, probably hates to be chip blocked because you, you usually have a two, two hundred, two hundred twenty-five pound running back slamming into your ribs. It hurts, and you know, takes their breath away and whatnot, and makes them ineffective for the play. Generally speaking. And Alex Lewis been been uh, jeez, uh, Alex Collins been very effective at doing that the last couple of weeks. And I had a citation here ready to go, and I, I don't have it in front of me right now. But uh, if you look to the article, it's there, and hopefully you'll take a chance and take a look at that.
3: All right, uh, that's great. So uh, basically, the offensive line plays well, you win the game. Is how it comes down to. Yeah, if they play there's... poorly. You're not gonna. You're gonna have a much
4: harder time winning. And this week they played well. Uh, everything really worked out. You know, obviously not the greatest conditions to pass, but the offensive line was was good. The receivers were good. The scheme was, I thought, very good. And uh, Joe was very good given the um the opportunity set that he had. So all the elements of making that passing game work, all 11 players contributed to it.
3: All right. So let's get to the offensive MVPs, and let's go and let's count down three, two, one, and go back. All right. Start. Go or build, you want me
4: to go build first. It uh, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so my, my number three is Mark Andrews, uh, fearless in the middle of the field, made a play after the catch on both of his, so he had a 30 and a 29-yard play. Uh, boy, it is really nice to have a flex tight end that keeps the opposing defensive coordinator guessing in terms of package, so I'm, uh, I'm very positive on him. He's my number three.
3: Uh, My number three is Justin Tucker. When you look around the league and so many guys are missing field goals, it's nice to have a guy that we can count on and uh, trust him, even in the rain, to make these uh, kicks look easy.
4: Yeah, great point. So it really took an illegal play for them to to deny a a kick from him. He's made 19 consecutive kicks now between 50 and 57 yards. That is just an amazing thing. The only – you know, they talk about sometimes he misses over fifty well, that's not really where he misses. He misses fifty eight and up. that's where he starts missing right and, and you know there's no one else kicking kicking very often from those kind of distances so anyway uh, terrific uh terrific career so far for him uh Ronnie Stanley uh, is my number two obviously heroic effort uh, I could argue that he was the best of the line, but I think he's he was the best relative to his circumstances. I'm sad to see now he showed up with some sort of a foot injury on the on the injury report. So we already knew he had a knee injury, this elbow injury, and now he's, he's, uh, he didn't practice today or he was limited because of a foot.
3: Right, and I just love how you said earlier he took that brace off and didn't even miss a play. Just threw it to the sideline and got, got right back in there. Oh. Uh, my number two is Sam Cook because yeah. there were two really bad high snaps. And he somehow was able to pull that down with a wet ball and get it lined up for Tucker.
4: All right. Well he did get blocked on the first on the first uh punt of the game and, and, and set that score. But that, that was Bowser's fault, so we 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 do know that and he he just whiffed on his block.
3: Oh yeah. I, I also all truth be told I missed the first five minutes of the game, so I missed that play.
4: <laughs> okay. All right, my number one is Flacco Uh, Terrific day Uh, He is generaling the offense right now I like what's going on I I wish they would do a little bit less Lamar Jackson Or a little bit more of just Lamar Jackson As a decoy and let Joe continue to run the play And
3: uh, my number one Is Marty Mornenweg Because I love the creativity and the change up I like the Lamar Jackson Creativity going on the field It hasn't worked yet But I
4: like the idea that he's thinking out of the
3: box well, there you go. It
4: will work at some point. We're going to get excited about a play from Lamar Jackson at some point in the next three games. I'm oh,
3: I, I'm I'm guessing uh, Sunday. I'm guessing Sunday night. That'd you generally great. you generally pull everything out to get past the Steelers. Good point. So, i um, this has been my prediction. I think I said this after Week One that all the Lamar, not really using Lamar, is to let the Steelers sleep on Lamar. <laughs> okay. Um, All right, let's get to the mailbag. And I want to focus the mailbag on one question this week. And this is, um, of the players who will be free agents at the end of the year, who do you want to be back, and who do you think will be back, and why? Okay,
4: so the easiest way to do this is just to go through these players one at a time on the roster and and talk about them. And I may miss somebody, and if I do, please just follow up on Twitter and I'll try and do the best I can. But among fourth-year players... uh, Willie Snead is under contract for next year, so he's not a factor. Max Williams, I do not believe, will be back. The team has two young tight ends. I think it's more likely they draft a tight end than that they spend money at tight end. Uh, the other fourth-year tight end they have is Nick Boyle. I think it is more likely they would make an attempt to sign him. But he may also have value, more value uh, in the market in general. He's got some suspensions behind him, which are the things that could hold him back. But uh, you know, he's a guy they could sign to a one- or two-year deal to continue on, provide blocking, and still provide a viable receiving threat as well. So, uh, Of the two, I would say it's more likely they'll try and retain Boyle than Max Williams. If you go on to the next player, Buck Allen, I think they will probably try and replace in terms of a draft pick. You need to continually get younger at running back. I think it is generally a bad idea to keep a running back around on a multi-year deal. If they did keep Allen, I think it's more likely they keep him on a one-year deal. Possibly a two-year deal recognizes special teams value and some of the things in in special capacities how he works on the offense. But yards per touch just don't justify much, and I don't really believe there'll be a lot of value for him on the open market. So hopefully, you know, if he can be signed cheap, hey, there's a right price to keep him around. If he can't, then I think they'll try and get younger at the position. Right. So let's keep going here. They have uh, probably the most important. Fourth year player they have right now is Zadarius Smith, who is just an ungodly pass rusher right now and making all kinds of uh of plays. He's only got two sacks. He's got six quarterback hits, and he's got other plays, one a short gain that was a takedown, another one that was called a run on a on a quarterback keeper that was really a sack uh that should have been credited to him. So he's, he's one of the NFL's most productive crash rushers so far this season. And I would really like to get him at the right price, but I'm afraid he's going to go at the very high end. Now, the good news is if Zedaria Smith goes on anything close to 10 sacks, eight sacks and a bunch of pressures and quarterback hits as he's likely to pile up, He's going to be a very valuable commodity out there on the market, and somebody's going to pay a lot of money, and the Ravens will probably get a third-round draft pick at least as compensatory value, or a fourth-round draft pick at least as compensatory value. So they'll get something. Uh, it, it's, it'll be a shame if they can't re-sign him. You know, it's a shame to lose Pernell McPhee, but they didn't have the money at the time to, to re-sign him after the Super Bowl. Uh, Zedarius, they're gonna, they have money available, so if they wanted to make him the focus of their free agent efforts, uh, they could do it. Uh, But for a team that already has four outside linebackers sitting there, Tim Williams begging for more playing time, I think the only way they'd really do it is if they were sure that Terrell Suggs was going and that Zedarius would be replacing him. So uh, I I don't anticipate that that's going to be the case, but we'll see see how that goes. Got one more player we need to talk about. Actually, two more. John Brown will be a free agent at the end of the year. Fifty-year player, uh, definitely a key part of the Ravens' offense, and they're going to need to find a deep threat. John John Brown is bet on himself with a one-year contract, so he's not going to be cheap. But hopefully, uh, you know, he's a guy the Ravens could extend and, and and find a price that's that's amenable to both parties. The last player I, I'll bring up, besides Mosley, who, who everybody knows we need to need to keep, is Brent Urban. Now, Urban is on a one-year deal, also not dissimilar to Brown, coming back off an injury year. Uh, he was a free agent coming coming into this year. Uh, the re-signing of him was, I thought, a terrific move by the Ravens, and he's he's played quite well, very quietly, quite well. And I think it'd be great if the Ravens could find a way to sign him to a long-term deal. There will be demand for him. Uh, he won't be a, a third or fourth round pick, but you know he could be a five million dollar a year guy somewhere for five years coming out of this year if he if he continues to play as well and doesn't get hurt. So I think those are those are kind of the key players at this point. A whole bunch more are going to be free agents after the 2019 season, particularly on the defense. And there's some big names like Henry and Pierce and Judan that, that they're going to have to figure out what do they want to do with those guys uh, a year from now. So can't spend the entire piggy bank after the 2018 season.
3: Right, right, right. And again, it's all focused on this season as far as there could be bigger changes if this season doesn't go well.
4: Oh yeah. I mean, if, if, Flacco is released. There will be money, but it'll be kind of delayed for a year because they'll have to take. Well, they could take a, a, an eight million dollar cap hit for each of two years. Save his salary. I guess it really creates maybe about ten million of free space for next year. Uh, but then you got eight million in dead money for the next year, so they they're they're going to have to figure out how they want to want to change it up. Suggs is coming to the end of his contract. Jimmy Smith may be released before the end of his contract, which will save nine million against the cap. So they have a few moves they can make to to create cap space. Eric Weddle also in the last year of his contract, so he could he could potentially be a a release if they really needed the cap space. Not like they don't have any. Not like they won't have any flexibility after this year but they just want to be careful with the dollars because they have a lot of free agents in 20 after 2019 as well.
3: Right. Right. Um,
4: when Garoppolo
3: went down on Sunday for the 49ers, there was lots of talk of all of a sudden, well, RG three, let's trade RG three. Um, I don't think that makes any sense because Kyle Shanahan's there and he's already had the RG three (laughs) experience, but it did make me start to think about RG three and every week he goes in and he's not active. Um, as an older quarterback who's trying to reestablish himself as a backup,
4: not active doesn't help him out at all. No, I, I think he. I think he wants to be playing somewhere above wanting to be playing for the Ravens. And he's he's been he is a very polished and diplomatic guy. And when he's been asked this question at the podium, he says, "I'm worried about playing this year for the Ravens." Yada yada yada. And that's the right attitude to take it. That's what Ravens fans obviously want to hear. In truth, though, I think he'd welcome a trade. I think if the 49ers were a team that was really interested in RG3, which I, I, I would agree with you, I don't think it, it makes a lot of sense necessarily. But if they were interested and there just weren't other alternatives around the league they thought they could afford, uh, I think he'd welcome the trade, and I think the Ravens need to, need to entertain it. Uh, it does not appear to me like uh, Jackson is anywhere near ready. So it may be that they'll need another backup quarterback for next year as well and have to consider carrying three. But certainly for the rest of this year, if Flacco goes down, I think the season is lost anyway. So I don't think that that having RG3 around, honestly, would be that much of a help.
3: Right. Um, I agree as well. So, all right, Ken, uh, thanks for going through the offense with me. This is It's good to look back at a win. I hope that we are looking back at a win when we come back on Monday to talk about the defense facing the Steelers. Um, tell me about Russell Street Report and your offensive line write-up that's up there.
4: Sure. So it, well, the one thing you can see, in addition to getting all the quarter and time references, if you just want to kind of go through some offensive line play and see what I'm talking about, you can you can do that with Game Pass. Also out there are the charts of grades by week. So if you were looking for trends and seeing how players are doing, a lot of people like those charts, and and they're sitting out there as well. So. A couple things to read. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Film Study Ravens. I'm checking my Twitter all the time. I have my tweet deck up, and I'd love to hear from you. Uh, great, get some great analyst conversation going uh, when you do. So uh, appreciate your questions and your comments, and uh, and happy to talk with you. Josh, tell us a little bit about Birdland, Birdland Sports.
3: Birdland Sports is your home for a whole bunch of Ravens and Orioles podcasts. Um, I think it's five different shows, so if you're figuring we do three shows a week, you've got a podcast for every day of the week if you go to BirdlandSports.com and check that out and follow us on Twitter at BirdlandSports, where you'll get notified every time there's a new episode of one of these shows, but uh, yeah, so you'll find us, Film Study, up there, you'll find Neutral Zone Infraction, Fraction, View, that had a new episode just come out, Section 336... And How about
4: anything by Michael Crawford? He's he's very good. Did you get him to do a podcast yet?
3: I don't think so. I'd okay. love to have Michael Crawford.
4: Yeah, he's good. We need to talk to him about that. That'd right. be, he'd be excellent. Yeah,
3: and I mean, hey, if you're interested in Baltimore sports, you're interested in doing your own podcast, or you already have a podcast, reach out to me because the real goal of Birdland Sports is to help develop shows in Baltimore.
4: Yeah, I'll say this. You know, when I started this, it's the production element is the really intimidating factor and josh really helped me through that i'm sure he'd help he'd help other people too because basically you've helped every podcast locally get started right josh (laughs) most of the
3: sports ones i have had at least conversations and recommended equipment if not helped them out with studio setups or something
4: all right well fantastic and uh uh josh good to see you i guess we'll talk after the pittsburgh game
3: yep enjoy your weekend